This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. 2NURFM 103.7, we're talking travel. And Barry Warwick, we're looking at a rather pleasant way of seeing countryside today. That's right, Jane. We're looking at river cruising and we've got um, Anton from uh, Avalon Waterways here to talk to us today. So that'll be really good because he can give us some of the inside information on um, you know what river cruising is all about. Um, how how are you, Anton? Yeah, good and you, Barry. I'm good, thanks. Now, Anton, uh, with river cruising as opposed to coach touring, um, what do you see them as the major advantages? The, the major benefit and advantage that we've seen from this sort of product is the fact that you know, clients can unpack once and have their same hotel room with them throughout Europe. So essentially you're seeing numerous different countries and in a different place every day without the, I guess, the hassle of having to get up and pack and, and move again. So that's, you know, from a relaxation point of view, that's, that's probably the prime advantage. Yeah. And look, people get to, um, I, I guess, see the scenery as it goes by. The, the cruises themselves, do they stop at night or do they continue on through the night or what, what happens in um, that sort of scenario? itinerary is different and obviously with the rivers being you know extremely calm and gentle that we can cruise in the evening with people getting a great night's sleep as well so what we would essentially do is during the day in the most scenic parts of whichever region we're in we'd, we'd try and cruise um, this may be around meal time we do then spend a fair bit of time on land so that clients can soak up the actual um the history of the, the place they're visiting. And then certain evenings um, we will cruise throughout the night so that when you wake up for breakfast, you're in a brand new country sometimes. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds uh, excellent. With the, with the vessels that you've, you've actually got, um, your vessels, the, the oldest is only 2003. So is this a fairly recent uh, move that uh, your company has made into to the waterways? Yes. really taken off in the Australian marketplace only in, in the last few years. Um, and with our company, we, we identified this early and made sure we had the ships in place. So as I say, we started building them fairly early on. The oldest one was built in 2003. Our latest edition came out this year, which is a smaller ship, a third generation ship, if you will. And next year, we have two more ships on order that are being built currently. Is there something different about river cruising boats as opposed to, say, ocean cruising boats? Definitely, and that's a fantastic question because there's so much out there at the moment and I think clients can get you know, a bit confused with the various different promises being made. So with a river cruising ship, especially if you're cruising the likes of Amsterdam to Budapest, you do go through the main Danube Canal, which has around 16 water locks. Now, these locks only measure approximately 12 metres wide, which means that by nature, governs that your ship cannot be more than, let's say, 10 metres wide. So most river cruising ships do tend to look very similar. Um, they are long, narrow, very modern-looking vessels. They don't need to have all the extra, um, if you will, gambling and casinos and numerous restaurants and theatres that an ocean cruiser does because every day you're seeing magnificent sights on the banks of these rivers. You're not stuck out in the ocean for you know, 10 days on end having to find entertainment you know, in-house. 
So with, um, you know, obviously with that, the, the ships usually take, what, around about 140 people? Correct. Um, the new ships we're taking, were, uh, our maximum number is 136 people, and some of our biggest ships take around 176 people. The average of the majority of those, we're looking at around 150 people would be a good number. So with the dining on the ship, you, you just have the one um, dining area, obviously, but um, does everyone eat at the same time or is there a split shift type uh, no, thing? Correct. It's one seating for dinner. It's one seating for all meals. And it's very casual on board as well, which is probably a bit different. Um, some people may be used to on the, the open water ocean cruises is that clients can you know come through in, as we say, it's, you know, it's very casual on board. They, so breakfast, lunch, dinner, you would sit wherever you wish with whomever you wish. Um, we obviously encourage people to move around the dining room and you know, your peak seats would obviously be the ones right by the windows so you can get some great views. But very relaxed and the one seating only means that everyone is there, everyone can eat together and then enjoy whatever after-dinner entertainment we offer. Plus a huge bonus I have to point out is that you get wine included with dinner and this is served continuously through the meal. Oh, that's excellent. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> and would that be wines of the local countries? Yes, it would be. We would always have a selection from local regions plus other regions in Europe as well. Okay. Just with the, the 136 um, people, that means that it's, or to 170, that means that it's a little bit more intimate, isn't it? For, and, and it's easier to, I guess, get to know people. Definitely. And, and the other bonus, you know, if, is if some people may on a certain day not feel like mingling, you, you have other options of finding a quiet place on board or staying in your room. You know, if you've got one of the rooms with the nice um, the sliding doors on the French balcony, you can take in various different sites as you cruise down or you have enough people out there to go and really get to meet everyone, especially on a 15-day cruise. You'd be spending a fair bit of time with these people if you wish going and doing your land tours and during meals. To NURFM 103.7, we're talking travel, brought to you by Travel World on King, our sponsor, and we're looking at a, well traipsing along the rivers that's that's right and comparing those to what you know similar things that you'd get with coach tours but um you know one thing anton with coach tours is that there's usually a fair amount of optionals offered uh, with river cruising um what's included and what's not included in that type of thing there is a lot of sightseeing obviously included as there is in coach touring on river cruising whereby if we were to arrive in a certain region for example if we're coming through into vienna we would have an orientation tour where we take everyone around, point out the most important sites. If we need to progress further out, we do have coaches on standby that can take us out and do extended day tours as well. There's obviously less optional tours than you would find on, on let's say, a coach tour. Most of this is included. Um, what we tend to find is that we have maybe on a 15-day cruise, let's say, around four optional tours. And this could be anything from going to the Nuremberg trial sites to going to a music performance in Vienna. Okay, that, that sounds excellent because not everyone would want to do those things and it's always good to have something that you can perhaps go out at night and, and um, do. But on board, you mentioned in the, the previous section uh, about on-board entertainment. What sort of entertainment is there on board? Well, the good thing here is we have a, a variety of different things we, that we can offer. So during the day, for example, if we're heading through a particular region that's uh, famous for its wines, is we will have wine tasting on board with a local expert who would come in and then sit on our very top deck of, of our, one of our ships in the beautiful sunshine while you're looking at these regions and actually sampling the wine. As, as far as the evenings go, we have a, a, a standard person that's on board, a, a pianist who obviously plays music in the lounge every night. 
But then we also bring on throughout the course of the cruise local entertainment. So we may bring on a, a local three-piece band or we'd have a certain singer from a certain region. So we do try and give this essential flavor of every region we go through with some local entertainment. If we don't have that, we always then, as I say, have our standard um, piano player on board and there is music in the lounge and um, sometimes the crew puts on a show as well. Ah, so... Hidden <laughs> talents. <laughs> <laughs> well, not so hidden. Um, what kinds of areas lend themselves to this kind of cruising, Anton? Well, obviously Europe's the big one at the moment, and this is where we're really seeing the growth, uh, in particular out of the Australian market, because a lot of people have been to Europe before but haven't really seen it from this point of view. Now, our main five rivers that we're looking at there would be essentially cruising along the Danube or the Rhine, the Mine the Moselle, and all the way down to the Black Sea. And now we've also seen extremely popular is cruising in France, and we've introduced our uh, flavors of Burgundy en Provence, which is 11 days from Paris to Nice or Nice to Paris, which is extremely popular as well. Real, which itinerary do you think is, is really the most popular? Is it really the one that goes um, from Amsterdam through to Budapest? or? Without a doubt, at the moment, Amsterdam to Budapest is the most popular from here. Um, there's numerous factors for that. It's 15 days, which is a, a good amount of time to be uh, away on a European holiday and on one of these products as well. But also the fact that the amount of different cities and sort of you know, the variety of the regions you're going through on this particular cruise is what makes it very popular because people want to go and see, they don't want to fly all the way over there and just see one particular thing. Um, and we're finding that on this one, with time in Amsterdam and Budapest at the end, and passing through Germany, Austria, touching Slovakia, um, you know, it's just a, a very well-rounded itinerary. And look, getting off the boats, is that difficult? Because I know that there's um, becoming a substantial number of uh, cruises on the, the river these days. Um, and, you know, pulling up at a village, what happens when there's, uh, you know, say three or four ships in at the same time? Yeah. In some of the busier regions you'd find, for example, in Vienna, is it's, it's not uncommon in the busier months to see three river cruise vessels all docked next to each other, and you can actually walk through these, these various ships when you have to move on to land. It's not a difficult thing to do, and it doesn't happen all the time. As I say, it's more in the popular regions. So it's by no means difficult to do. And the rivers we found that even with the popularity of this product are still not overcrowded to the degree that you would think. It's, you know, even though it's a transport network, the, from this side of things, there's still many days where you wake up and you're just looking around at you know, amazing scenery and you're the only ship out there. What about a bit of adventure with locks and things? Because a lot of these rivers do have locks, don't they? Yes, they do. And that's, you know, we, we find that it's just an engineering marvel and we find you know, we, we have a lot of open jaws and camera flashes going off throughout when we're passing through these. And as I say, especially on that magnificent Europe, which is Amsterdam to Budapest, you will pass through the main Danube Canal and around 16 water locks. Wow. That's, that's certainly a few to go through, isn't it? It is. So what, what time, length of time does it usually take to go through a lock on average? And I know that each one would be a little bit different. Sure. Roughly anywhere from an hour to two. Um, it does depend on where we've actually come through to the lock and how many um, ships are on the water that day. Some of them can take one ship at a time. Others can take two. So some of them, you know, can be a lengthy process to actually pass through all those canals. But as I say, it is so amazing to actually watch this process in motion that we find most most of the passengers are just in awe of this entire day watching this process happen. We're talking travel on to a new RFM 103.7. Barry Warwick, last week we were talking about 
tipping and what a problem or conundrum it can be sometimes for well, Australians. Well, particularly for Australians. Okay. And look, uh, on cage tours, you need to tip the driver and the guide. Anton, what happens on a, a vessel like this where, um, you know, do you go personally and hand the captain a, um, a tip or, or what's the story there? Well, the good news on river cruising is that there, there, there is, the gratuities are for the cruise director and crew, so it's not split up amongst numerous people, and there's one amount that can actually be prepaid before you leave here, which is beautiful and peace of mind that it's all done, or it can be paid on board. But unlike the big ocean cruise ships, we do not automatically um, charge a set amount every day. So it is purely up to the passengers on how they want to pay that. The good news is that we've actually developed an exclusive collection of select departures for the Australian market where the prices that's in the brochure include all the onboard gratuities, so there's nothing extra to pay when you're on board. So that's, that's an excellent option. If um, someone couldn't make that, though, how do they go about tipping? Um... Well, as I say, they've got two choices here. What they could do is they could prepay the gratuities and we yep. list these amounts in our brochures, yep. or they could actually then pay it on board. And there is usually um, an envelope made available in the rooms, and then there is a, a, a drop-off point at the... Ah, uh, so there's a central drop-off point. Yes, we don't, yep. they don't need to go around and do... I mean, obviously, if there's someone on crew that they felt has done a fantastic job and they want to do a personal thing that is obviously you know completely up to them yeah because tipping is always one of those things that's uh, hard for the australian market and the other thing is what's the mix of nationalities on these uh cruising you know it, it's become very popular in australia but um what what is that mix generally sure i mean extremely popular worldwide and as you say you know australia very big that's why we have two different options out there we have exclusive collection which we only sell in australia and new zealand and then we also have our worldwide river cruising product, which is sold in, uh, around the world. And your biggest mix at the moment would be out of Australia, the USA, and Canada, I'd say. Right. So uh, you're likely to be, unless you're on one of the all-Australian ones, uh, with Canadians or Americans. Sure. There'd be a good mix of people from around the world. Um, yeah. Those would be your, your majority groups. Okay. Uh, that's excellent. Well, thanks very much, Anton, from Avalon Waterways and bringing us up to speed with river cruising. No problem. Thank you very much. Great places. Yeah. And that's Talking Travel for today. Thank you, Barry Warwick. I'm Jane Klein, and we'll be back Talking Travel again next Friday after the 1 o'clock news here on 2NURFM 103.7.